2: Welcome to the show, not just the show, but the last show of September. Wow, when we get out of church on Sunday, it's going to be October already, which for us, as I've already told you, is Joy of Jesus Month. We appreciate your prayers. Hey, welcome to the program, and thanks for tuning in. As you heard by the announcer, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and we're here on weekdays at 4 o'clock to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions, life questions, whatever is going on in your life. I'll do the best that I can to answer the questions. All you have to do is call us, area code 210-340-9585. 340 9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at CalvarySA.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app if you're driving in your car the safest way to call is to use the free kslr mobile app you have to just one button it says call now and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer Lots going on in the weekend. I know you're going to church this weekend, so have a great time. Be available to be used by God here at our church. We've got services tonight. I'm going to be teaching uh, the back half of Acts chapter 23. Uh, Tomorrow morning, remember, we've got, or tomorrow afternoon, actually, at 1 o'clock. We have uh, our Young Women's Conference um, from 1 o'clock until 4 o'clock. Michelle Van Sickle, Pastor Nelly's wife, will be uh, doing the teaching, ladies, and you will be blessed. Your children are welcome to come. There's no charge, uh, and uh, they will be blessed. So that's tomorrow at 1 o'clock. And then on Sunday, of course, um, I'm going to be again in the Gospel of Luke here at Calvary Chapel. So wherever you go to church, just be available to be used by the Lord. I know I had something, but when you get to be my age, sometimes you forget. So let me just go right to questions. Here is our first question. Uh, It is from our email inbox from Drew. Pastor Ron, I've read three passages of scripture that speak about the book of life Exodus 32, verses 32 through 33, Psalm 69, 28, and Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, all of them tell me that everyone's name has already been recorded, and if you sin against God, as mentioned in Exodus, the name will be blotted out. I've always been taught, and I think by you when I lived in Texas and attended your church, that the believer's name was written in the book only upon trusting Christ. Please clarify me for me. Does the book already have names written in it or are our names written in the book upon accepting Christ God bless Drew Uh, Drew a couple of uh, assumptions that you made here in the beginning that I'll deal with in a moment but let me just answer the question very directly Um, it's sort of like making a hotel reservation Um, the Lamb's Book of Life Um, Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world had been laid. Um, God knows everything, so he knows all of the names that are going to be in there. When we are born again in time and space, it's sort of like the vacancy sign comes on in the book of life. And and our name goes up in lights. It's always been there. but, But in order to confirm our reservation, we have to be born again. So remember, Jesus knows everything. Uh, He knew that you were going to be saved, that I was going to be saved, so our names are in the book of life. But it's sort of like they don't get activated until we're born again, at least as it relates to time and space. Now, a couple of things about the, the passages that you mentioned. Exodus 32 and Psalm 69 have nothing to do with the book of life. Um, In the book of Exodus, um, you'll remember this is following the golden calf incident and Moses is being a type of Christ interceding for the people of Israel. He says to the Lord, uh, he says, look, I know they've sinned greatly. These people deserve to die, Um, but then he intercedes for them. And he says, save them. And if you don't do that, then just blot me out of the book. And it's really the book of the living. The same thing is true in Psalm 69. I'll talk about that one in a moment. But it's not the Lamb's book of life. You see, the the Jewish construct, whether it was Moses or David, they would have no concept of life after death the way we do. No concept of, of a heaven as we understand heaven. It just wasn't part of their religion. That was revelation that hadn't been given to them yet. So in both cases, Exodus 32, uh, Moses is interceding. And what he's doing is, is what the Apostle Paul did in Romans chapter 9, offering to change places with them. Save them, take me. And that's what Jesus did for us. So Moses was being a type of Christ. In Psalm 69, again, the the better translation is in the book of the living. Now, in Jewish cultures, there was always a book of the citizens that lived in a city. And if somebody died, they'd blot them out. They'd, they'd erase them uh, or have their name taken out. So it's a reference to that, the book of the living as opposed to the book of the dead. But it has nothing whatsoever to do. With um, the, the, the Lamb's Book of Life. One other thing, um, Drew, and, and this is always a sort of a pet peeve with me. Um, Revelation chapter 3, verse 5 has nothing whatsoever to do with blotting a name out of the Book of Life. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. Please hear these next three words. I will never blot out his name from the book of life but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels so we need to be more careful when we read these things through because uh, I've had questions over the years on this program and and people terrified I know what I've done God's going to blot me out of the book of life no I will never blot out his name from the book of life instead I'll acknowledge it before my Father and his angels. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. And Revelation chapter 3 is the greatest possible security that we could ever imagine. So Revelation 3, 5 has nothing whatsoever to do with being blotted out. It's a promise that we can't be blotted out. And we need to hold on to that promise because we know how the enemy works. He tries to make us feel like we're condemned and like we're guilty. No, if your name's in the book of life, if you've been truly born again, that name is never coming out of there. So, Drew, I hope that uh, uh, answers your question. Here is another question. This one is from Martin, or Martine, I'm not sure. Uh, Pastor Ron, I'd like to know what Bible teachers you look up to um martin that's martin that's always a hard question for me because i, I honestly don't listen to a lot um, I listen to the radio if i'm in the car or i 'll listen to um, um, uh, if i'm trying to fall asleep and uh, I need to kind of shut my mind down um, but uh you know I'm pretty busy preparing my own bible studies um so in terms of the Bible teachers that I look up to um uh, I can tell you uh, unequivocally, I love and endorse uh, Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans from Dallas, um, and his ministry. Uh, The more I hear of Tony now, he—he was hard for me to get into because he yells a lot, and I'm not a—I don't like yelling. I grew up in a home where there was a lot of yelling, and I don't like yelling. But the content is magnificent. Uh, He is a brilliant guy. Uh, He has been in ministry um, for over 40 years now, um, and there's been no hint of scandal. So this is a man who practices what he preaches. Um, He's resisted the tide. Uh, there are a lot of black churches that are prosperity churches, and and uh, Dr. Evans is just a, a very solid, gifted teacher of the Word of God. I've also heard him in question and answer settings, um, where where he is, um, he just makes a lot of sense. So, so Tony Evans would be one. I think I've said this on the program before. I think my favorite preacher, uh, he's, he's now with the Lord, was Adrian Rogers. Um, Uh, from Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, I think it's Bellevue Baptist, Um, and he's still on the radio here uh, in town, Uh, but uh, Adrian Rogers is just uh, sort of the prince of preachers, got a great voice, Um, he's very Baptist, uh, so he sounds very Baptist, uh, but a great heart, had a fruitful and, and, and long, long ministry. Uh, And and so I've always appreciated him as well. Um, um, I enjoy uh, Calvary Chapel Pastor Skip Heitzig. He's a a guy who um, is just a truly gifted teacher. So I listen to him when I can Um, locally. Uh, Martin, I uh, I get in the car as soon as Paula picks me up and we leave the, the studio from this program listen to, to uh, Rander Draper from Maranatha Bible Church. I enjoy him like crazy. Now, I know him a little bit, and he's just really, really a nice man. Um, so there's another guy. I'm partial to those guys who actually live what they teach. Uh, when somebody's sort of stuck up and... And, uh, you know, they think they're all that. Uh, I don't really care much what they have to teach. But Rander Draper is just really, really solid. And he's uh, got the gift of being direct, like I have the gift of being direct. Uh, our styles could not be more different. But uh, I really appreciate him. So um, I hope that that helps a little bit anyway. But, again, I don't listen that much to uh, to other preachers. Here is a Chris, question from Chris what can I do to get the gift of healing well Chris if you want to get the gift of healing you got to get sick I'm not being funny you got to get sick uh, the gifts of healing that are, are demonstrated in 1st Corinthians 12 and 14 that's not a gift that's given to a man or woman to go heal people. Now I understand there are people that claim to have healing ministries, but those healing ministries are not true, they're not legitimate. Uh, If God gives a gift of healing uh, like he did Jesus in the New Testament or the Apostle Paul or the other uh, apostles, they were sign gifts remember, validating their apostleship, or in Jesus' case, validating that he was in fact the Christ, the Messiah they were looking for. Um, That gift never uh, outlasted or outlived the apostolic age. Um, gifts of healing uh, that we read about in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 uh, are gifts given to people who are sick. Tonight at the end of our study we always have people on Friday night because we have some time and there's no real rush. Uh, are the, the men and women who were in our pastor's discipleship class We'll line up in front of the stage, and um, the Lord will sometimes let me know that there's the, the power to heal is available, and we'll have people come up, and, and if they will ask for prayer, if they need healing, um, our people will pray for them. And often, the gift of healing is given to them. But that's the thing we have to understand. It's not a gift. It's not the person doing the praying. It's the gift of healing given to that man or that woman who is sick or who is in need of the gift of healing. So, Chris, don't get carried away with when we see um, on so-called Christian TV or listen to Christian radio about people that are healing people all the time. Uh, If you're really healing people in a ministry, it's an outreach that Jesus is... Using the gifts of healing given uh, to to win people to him, so it's not one of those things where we see Benny Hinn in a big concert hall, knocking people over and pretending they're getting healed. That's nothing uh, but but theatrics and it's uh, it's phony. So um, all you got to do is get sick and then let the prayer offered in faith healed the sick person so you be that person Three four zero ninety five eighty five. now let me also say this because I'm aware that that you know we, we like to believe um, that well well God's the same yesterday today and tomorrow forever so uh, he healed then he'll heal now y- you need to be a better student of your Bible because that God is the same that he doesn't change references his character not the way he works the way he works always changes it's from the very beginning changed I also understand that we grow attachments to these false teachers we we our only attachment should be to the word of God and to of course Jesus but when people are teaching false doctrine people are getting hurt when they pretend they have the gift to heal people people are getting hurt you know I um, Chris as a young Christian, I wanted this gift so bad. So I, I, I know where you're coming from. And and my motives were really good. I didn't want to be a superstar. I didn't want to fill auditoriums. But what I wanted to do is walk through hospitals and just go in and be able to pray for people or even just walk by their room and let the power of God to heal rest upon them. I thought, oh, Lord, I won't take any credit. Nobody will know I'm here. But as I walk by, then, then you do the healing. Um, but remember, these people know about jesus the gift of healing in that context biblically was always so that people would hear about him and listen to him and in our culture we don't have to do that anymore what about by his stripes we're healed i ask it asked that all the time as well has nothing to do with physical healing at all in isaiah chapter 53 340-9585 Three four zero ninety here is a question from Madison. Pastor Ron, where can I go for reliable deliverance ministries? Madison, this is another one. I'm probably going to burst your bubble a little bit. If you are a born-again Christian, you have been delivered already. Why would we be, need to be delivered? when we already have been. Now again, I know that there's a lot of false teaching about casting out demons out of Christians and delivering people from um, whatever binds them. Uh, but all that's nonsense. It's, it's biblical illiteracy. And yet we buy it because we want hope. The problem is that what they're peddling is false hope. And so deliverance ministry occurred on the cross at Calvary. And all you have to do is believe that. And when you find one of these churches that talks about deliverance ministries, it's going to cost you money. It's going to end up hurting you because it's not true. And pastors who faithfully teach the Bible all over this country, all over the world, believe me, we've had to clean up a whole lot of messes created by people making these false promises deliverance from generational curses deliverance from demons of cancer deliverance from demons of lust you name it we've we've had them sell everything but none of it's true Madison so let me tell you go to John chapter 3 verse 16 for reliable deliverance ministry go to 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 for reliable deliverance ministry I promise you that's the only place you're going to find it Let's go to Johnson City, Texas now and talk with Wes on Line 1. Wes, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
3: Uh, Yes, Pastor. Uh, You just answered my question. I was thinking about the uh, the, uh, uh, demonic deliverers like Bob Larson um, and uh, how uh, these people come up to the podium, and he seems to detect demonic activity and delivers those. But you were just discussing how that wasn't uh, real, that wasn't true, even though it just – You know, I I question that because it just seems like there's just a lot of demonic activity out there. And, you know, watching these examples of him delivering some of these people, yeah, I'm skeptical. Uh, That's why I'm, you know, I question everything. But, um, you know, just seems to be a lot of demonic activity. And I I was at a guy's deathbed one one time and was speaking about Jesus on the cross, and he rose out of bed as weak as he was and yelled out, I was there, and everybody left the room, and that was what I took as a demon speaking through him, saying he Mm -hmm. that that demon was there at the cross, and um, just from personal experiences, and anyway, that's all I have
2: okay Wes thank you Um, I'll add a little bit Wes because the the deliverance ministry that I was talking about being false uh, are are deliverance ministries for Christians now there are certainly deliverance ministries uh, and and examples of demonic possession I have run into many Um, I always hate it when I do it's not something that's fun and we don't shout at the devil Uh, but, but there are people that need desperately to be delivered from their sin they need to be delivered from control of the devil so we have to be prepared to fight those fights again it's not pleasant but that kind of deliverance ministry we're delivering people from darkness into light that kind of deliverance ministry is an important part of the church always has been and always will be I especially as as you just indicated I've been with a lot of people on their deathbed and I've had people um, um, get so angry and and I realized it was demons in them um, their hearts so hard, so seared by by sin, um, the enemy had his grip on them. And uh, I've shared before, Paul and I did a nursing home ministry. It was the first ministry that we ever did together. And uh, seeing um, old people uh, tormented by demons, some possessed by demons, was not unusual at all. So those kind of deliverance ministries are are um, are legitimate uh, but not the way we see it on TV uh, Bob Larson is a false teacher and um, there, there are just so many others that are shouting and screaming at the devil and um, we all know their names they're on so-called Christian television uh, but, but they're always associated with wanting a lot of your money uh, everything is for sale uh, and that's just not the way the Lord works so deliverance ministry for those who are unsaved is perfectly legitimate um, but deliverance ministries for Christians, Wes, are are abs- uh, unnecessary. So thank you, Wes. Appreciate it very very much. Are you still on the phone, Wes? Nope, we've lost him. Okay, thanks, Wes. I hope that helps. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We've got a, just under five minutes left for this half. We'd love your live calls. Here's an anonymous question: Can pornography be used by Christians under any circumstances? Anonymous. Um, what do darkness and light have in common? Uh, I, I that, That's what comes to mind in, in responding to your question. Um, why would we who are believers look at pornography? Now, I understand flesh, and I understand temptation. I'm a man like everybody else in this. We're, we're just flesh. But... Um, this is one of those areas where we've got to take a stand. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul who said to all of us, flee from sexual immorality? Can you imagine the, Paul, the Apostle Paul looking at pornography? Well, obviously the answer to that is no. So why would we use it? and I don't know what under any circumstances might be um, uh, anonymous I've had uh, um, husbands and wives ask me in counseling if if it was okay if they looked at pornography together uh, Hebrews says the marriage bed is pure don't, don't defile it so why would we bring other people into our marriage bed uh, again I understand the, 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 the temptation to the flesh but where to crucify the flesh every day all day so my answer would be no Um, I realize that pornography is a huge problem but um, it's just not something that you would want to introduce into your marriage it's not something that could ever be beneficial one other thing I want you to, to think about anonymous is that the people that you're looking at in the act of pornography are sons and daughters of of mothers and fathers somewhere. There's somebody else's young girl, somebody else's wife, somebody else's mother. Why would we want to do that? Again, I'm not being naive here, I understand the the appeal to the flesh, but um, no, pornography shouldn't be used by Christians under any circumstances. Delight in the wife of your youth, we're told in Scripture. Look at the woman or the man God gave you. Think about how precious, if you're married, your wife is to Jesus. And then think about how you would explain to Him that you thought it could sort of spice up your sex life if you use pornography. So I, I just can't imagine that there's any circumstance or condition where uh, pornography would be usable or beneficial for the believer. Darkness and light have nothing whatsoever in common, and we need to understand that. So avoid it. When Paul says flee from sexual immorality. He means it. And I think what we got to do is understand that, that uh, those commands are not suggestions. They're commandments for us. You know, anonymous pornography, and we're inside one minute here, so I won't take another question until we come back on the other side of the break. Um, Pornography is uh, epidemic in our church culture, unfortunately, because we allow our children uh, unrestricted access to these little computers they carry around, they call phones. Uh, You know what's funny? You hardly ever see anybody talking on a phone. But we're setting our kids up for destruction. I think a lot of it is because the kids' parents are involved in it as well. Hey, we've got thirty minutes left in the week. 3409585. We'd love your live calls and questions. 3409585. You're listening to the word to stand on for life. We'll be back in two minutes.
1: to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the program. We only have 30 minutes left in the week. 340-9585. In response to the other question about Bible teachers that I liked, we had an anonymous caller into the studio. Anyone know Have I heard or do I know anything about a guy named Andy Andy Stanley? Uh, Anonymous, uh, I do. Uh, He is Charles Stanley's son. Charles Stanley is a faithful Southern Baptist preacher for a very, very, very long time, probably nearing the end of his service to the Lord. I, I think he is now well into his 80s. Uh, Andy Stanley is his son who is sort of a mini-me version, but he's sort of the cool kid on the block. Um, He is a mega church pastor. Um, I do not recommend his teaching nor his ministry. He's sort of church-light. He's sort of been uh, focused on increasing the size of his church rather than proclaiming the truth of the Lord. He says a bunch of things that get him in trouble, and then he has to to, to, to go back and backtrack. And uh, Just recently he talked about uh, Christians under a new covenant, so we don't have to keep any of the new commandments, or uh, any of the old commandments, the Ten Commandments, and, um, uh, and while he's partially right, he doesn't explain himself well enough that the, the casual student um, would, would really grasp. Um, and the reason they would, I call them a casual student, is because his teaching is very casual. Um, you know, we don't have to keep the commandments. We get to keep the commandments. That's a very important thing. All of the commandments, so the nine of the ten, are repeated to us over and over and expanded upon in the New Testament uh, under Jesus and in New Testament teaching through the epistles and the book of Acts. So, um, I don't recommend his ministry at all. Um, he is a very charismatic guy. He's a gifted communicator. Uh, unfortunately, he's just not dispensing a whole lot of really solid uh, information. He's not helping people grow in the Lord. Uh, so, I, I wouldn't recommend him. He is, seems at times absorbed by needing to get bigger and be cooler and keep coming up with new things. So uh, I I wouldn't recommend his ministry uh, at all. But he is a believer, that much is sure. And uh, um, he'll stand before Jesus just like I will. Here is a question from Dennis. Our church is doing an outreach with another church whose pastor is a woman. Should we be partnering with them? Uh, Dennis, that's a question for your pastor. Um, I would not do it. I'll just tell you from my perspective, I would not. Um, you know, I, I think I mentioned this before, but we um, I don't know why when we do outreaches, we're always looking to partner with other people. Uh, I think God gives a vision for every local church. Uh, And every local church needs to do what God has prepared them to do and equipped them to do. And if that's the case, I don't need another church to come alongside and support me. Likewise, uh, a church that's doing what God told them to do doesn't need me. Uh, And I think, you know, it's sort of like a puzzle. In heaven, God's putting all the pieces together. And so if I'm doing something that somebody else is doing, then my thing is going to be left undone. The puzzle's not going to be completed. Um, the issue that you're asking about is, is, is a doctrinal issue. Do I want to be in fellowship or in service with uh, a church who has a woman pastor in violation of New Testament teaching? Um, I wouldn't do it, but um, I, I would not rule out that perhaps your pastor feels led by the Lord to, to, to serve, to minister alongside them, maybe even to help them. Um, um, but, but that would be a question for your pastor. Again, I wouldn't do it personally. Um, I've stated on this program many, many times that a church whose pastor is a woman is a church who does not have a pastor. And when you're serving, when you're out doing outreach, um, you want like-minded, like-hearted people that you can stand shoulder to shoulder with in service. So uh, I, I just, I wouldn't want to do it myself um, and yet, I know uh, pastors who are faithful and uh, committed to God's word, who would not have uh, the same difficulty with that that I would. So, I can't tell them God didn't God told you not didn't tell you to do that. Uh, that's between them and the Lord. Andre wants to know, Pastor Ron, how can I be sure I'm called to full-time ministry, and how should I prepare? Um, Andre, I think if you feel called. To full-time ministry, and I don't know what you're talking about as a pastor, um, uh, you probably are. Now, I, I want to qualify that just a little bit. If you're right with God, if you're walking with Jesus, if you love God's Word, uh, and you feel called, um, the devil's not going to do that. Uh, usually, and I say usually advisedly, Andre, because... Um, There there are exceptions, but normally we're not going to go into ministry uh, because we we have this giant ego. We want to be successful. We go into ministry because God's calling us to service. So again, if you feel called and all of those qualifications are met, then you probably really are called. So don't question the calling. Uh, I... For 24 years, nearly, I've been been the pastor of this church, and it's been the second greatest privilege of my life. I, I always tell our church, other than being Paula's husband, uh, being their pastor is the greatest thing ever. Uh, and and if you're called, you don't want to miss out. I promise you, you don't want to miss out. It's going to be hard. Um, your faith is going to be tested continually. Uh, you never get to that place where you you think you've achieved. Paul said, not, "Not that I've already accomplished these things, but one thing I do, I press on." Um, you know, I, I think, I think, Andre, when we we start out in ministry, we have a sense that at some point uh, it's going to get easier, our faith is going to grow. Uh, that point is never going to come. Uh, I'm more dependent on on Jesus now uh, than than I was 24 years ago. Um, the tests get harder and harder they don't get easier um, but as the tests are more difficult so too on the other side of that coin are the blessings of God to get greater and greater and greater so if, if, if we understand that then then we got to grab that opportunity and run with it now how should you prepare that's the simplest question of all the word, the word, the word devour your Bible Learn to love it. Make a decision, Andre, about whether or not you really believe it. And I'm not talking about, well, yeah, I kind of believe it, but no, I mean, a once-forever decision that, that this is God's Word and you believe every word. And you're going to live your life based on those principles. If you're doing that, then God's Word is going to come out of your mouth. Your life is going to be governed by, by what I call these New Testament principles of life. You're going to be able to explain everything you do uh, with New Testament application. Uh, and, and then you're also going to fall in love with people that God loves. He loves them so much he died for them. And you're going to fall in love with them as well. So that's how you prepare. And I guess the shortcut is just be with Jesus, do what he would do, uh, and, and you'll be ready when the time comes. So Andre, I hope that helps. for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous caller who asks this. Smith Wigglesworth claims there is no healing ministries. Was he a crook? Uh, Smith Wigglesworth, um, whatever he believed, he was kind of goofy, he was a Um, I I don't know, but he had healing ministries, so I don't know, I don't understand the question. Uh, Was he a crook? I don't know. I I don't know him. He lived a long time ago. And um, uh, I just know that doctrine was uh, aberrant and he had all kinds of issues. He died in 1947, um, and and, uh, he was um, prominent back then in the... um, Sort of the Pentecostal movements that started in, in, um, in this country anyway, in 1905 in the in the uh, uh, Azusa Street revival. Um, so, I, I hope that helps, anonymous caller. I don't know that much about him. I have read some of his stuff uh, in years past, but it's been a long time. I just know he is not a doctrinally sound guy. So, I hope that helps see my next question comes from Nathaniel Uh, good question Nathaniel what is the difference between biblical theology and systematic theology well uh, the difference is looking at the Bible um, from the perspective of trying to mine out of it that which is in it Uh, we call that exegesis um, sometimes systematic tholo- theology we're reading what other people have decided is a proper way to approach the Bible and we, uh, we, we look at everything the Bible says through the lens of our systematic theology uh, Nathaniel uh, I've sh- on the program I shared that I, I was not raised in church uh, I didn't go to a seminary uh, I didn't have anybody teaching me um, how to look at the Bible I just started reading it and, and the theology uh, that I have, the theology of course is the study of God, um, is a result of the Bible telling me who God was, and the Bible telling me how to relate to God, and the Bible telling me how to respond to God. If I looked at a systematic theology, for example, if I look, look through a reformed systematic theology or through a prosperity systematic theology, then what I would be doing is imposing on the Bible the things that that theology tells me that I ought to have. And that's where we come up with all kinds of problems. So uh, for some systematic theology uh, all I would ask you to do is read your Bible and let it form your systematic theology nothing wrong with systematic theology but we have to make sure that we get it from the bible instead of looking at the bible through our systematic theology so nathaniel i hope that answers your questions let's go to we've got uh, west from oh yeah uh, line two an anonymous caller uh, on the line thanks for calling you're on the air
4: Hi, I had to call because um, the question got really messed up. I listen to you every day, and 99% of the time I agree with you. I think you're a great brother and encourage a lot. Of, but I strongly disagree with you that healing is not in Isaiah, because I've read Hebrew scholars that broke it down and said clearly part of it is talking about infirmity. And John MacArthur will do what you do. He says tongues has passed away because it was an ep- apostolic gift. But I, I want to go by the word. I can't find a single scripture, and if you have one, I'm very open to hear it. It says, gift of healing and gift of working in miracles has passed away. And what I was telling him, I've read a lot about Smith Wigglesworth. I can't find any credible sources that refuted him as being them being legitimate miracles or that he was in it for money or that he had any kind of ulterior motive. And uh, I've actually been healed off my deathbed three times in my life. I've had other stuff I haven't been healed of. I'm not going to claim I always get healed because I haven't. But yep. I strongly believe in that gift, and I was prayed for and literally recovered the next day when I was supposed to die. But anyway, that was kind of my question, sorry to ramble, okay. that I don't. If you could give me any scripture that says that the gift of miracles or the gift of healing, because John MacArthur does the same thing, and he drives me crazy. I'm like, where is this in the <laughs> Word? that i listen off the air, and I do love you, brother, and think your ministry is terrific,
2: by the way. Thank you, Anonymous. Please, please listen very carefully to me uh, as well. I did not say that the gift of healing didn't exist. I said the gift of healing uh, isn't... Uh, a gift given to a man who lays hands on people and they get healed, gifts of healing, and that was the the question. What do I have to do to get to get the gift of healing? And I said, you have to get sick. Uh, I too have been healed uh, from some minor things. Uh, I have prayed for people who received the gift of healing and they they got healed. So healing uh, is is for today it's just not the way we see it certainly not the way that Smith Wigglesworth did it and I know nothing about Smith Wigglesworth's motives I would be foolish to take a guy who died in 1947 and and ascribe motives to him but I know his theology is whack I mean it's really really off base and that's the way we test these things so uh, Anonymous the gift of healing uh, is still for today but it's not my anointing that heals people it's God giving the gifts and it's plural in 1st Corinthians the gifts of healing are given to people who are sick or who are ill so the healing hasn't stopped it's just that there's not healing the way Jesus did healing and there's not healing the way the apostles did healing at least in the time and the culture that we live in now if we were to go to, to Africa, if we were to go to India if we were to go to places where Uh, uh, Islam is the prevailing religion. You'd see those kind of miracles because Jesus is vindicating uh, the messengers. He's vindicating the message of the messengers, and he does that with signs and wonders. Now, please don't compare me with John MacArthur because he is a cessationist and believes that the gifts of the Spirit... Uh, have ceased Um, I've said on this program many times uh, we're a charismatic church Uh, I personally uh, have been blessed with the gift of tongues so I know the gift is for today but it's just not done the way that we see it done on so called Christian television where everybody's speaking in tongues at the same time, that's not the Holy Spirit at all. So the gift of tongues, again, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, tells us how to use the gifts in church. So the sign gifts are there. Now, as to what Hebrew scholars say, it doesn't matter what Hebrew scholars say, it doesn't matter what Jews say. Their understanding of the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, caused them to reject Jesus when he came. All I can tell you is that Isaiah 53 has nothing to do with physical healing. The sin that's being spoken of, this is validated in the Gospel of Matthew, it's also validated by Peter in his epistle, uh, one of his epistles. Um, um, it, it's the the, the the thing that we're healed of, the atonement is for our sin. We're healed of that disease, which is always fatal. So, um, there's there's no physical healing promise at all in Jesus' stripes. By his stripes we are healed. Um, If you look at the context of the passage, we're healed of that disease called sin that's going to destroy us. So uh, again, I, I agree with you, healing is for today. It's just not at all done in the way that uh, we often see it practiced in these uh, so-called faith churches or prosperity churches or health and wealth churches. Um, it's, it's, just, it's just not. And Smith Wigglesworth had so many doctrinal issues that, uh, again, whatever his motives was, he and Jesus have sorted that out by now, and there's no way that I could know that. So I hope that explains um, uh, my response. Again, uh, we're a charismatic church. We believe in and operate in the gifts of the Spirit, but we do it decently and in order the way we are instructed to in those passages of Scripture written by the Apostle Paul that deal specifically with order in the church. This is what the gift is, and this is how it's to be administered. So I, I, I hope I made that really, really clear. 340-9585 340-9585 for your live calls. We've got about 10 minutes left, I think, in the program. Um, Dominic wants to know, why did God ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? Um, he did it to test Abraham. Now, Dominic, here's the way we have to understand this. We know that Isaac was the miracle child, the, the, the promised child of God. And in uh, Abraham's case, once the child was born, remember when um, uh, Ishmael had to be sent away, um, Isaac evidently became more important to Abraham than God who gave the gift to Abraham. In other words, his priorities got messed up. And at some point, God said, here's what you have to do. Now, God uses this to paint a wonderful picture for us. Um, Abraham, and I'm going to paraphrase this whole conversation, do you love me? I really love you. Well, why are you avoiding me, ignoring me? Why is your heart set on Isaac more than your heart is set on me? That's what God was trying to find out. And Abraham needed to know. And so what God did was test him. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, and offer him to me. Three days, Abraham had to walk to Calvary, literally. And three days, he would go through a a, a scope of emotions that we can't even begin to imagine. He'd be angry at God. How could you ask me to do this? He would be a theologian. This is so unlike you. This is not your character, not your nature. But three days. And the book of Hebrews tells us that, that uh, eventually, during that three-day walk, he came to the conclusion that, well, God, you made me promises and you can't lie, so I'm going to kill him. You're going to have to raise him from the dead. And we're told figuratively he did raise Isaac from the dead, although he never stopped lying. So the point, Dominic, was that he had no intention of having Isaac sacrificed. It was an example to test Abraham's heart, to test his priorities, his love for God. When Abraham passed the test, he said, don't lay a hand on the lad. Uh, I love the King James. Uh, He said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And, of course, that was this wonderful picture of Jesus Christ dying for your sins and mine, Dominic. So it was a test. You know, there are times when God will ask people to give up a relationship or to give up uh, career plans, and and um, and, and their test. Uh, the question we had about how do I prepare for, for a, a calling into the ministry, um, you know, there's times when you've got to open your hands and give up everything. God, all this stuff in my hands, I, I don't want anything, I want you. So I put all of this stuff and lay it at your feet. And then what I always do, Dominic, is I leave my hands open and saying, okay, you put back your stuff. And when I'm willing to give stuff up, God sometimes puts some of those things right back in my hands. But this is a priority check, a heart check. Who do we love more? Do we love our plans? Do we love our kids? Over and over throughout the years, Dominic, I've had um, husbands and wives that so desperately wanted kids, and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And as soon as the came, the, the child came and we had this wonderful time of rejoicing and celebration, uh, we'd start seeing the, the the parents missing church, especially the moms. And I'd ask them, so wh- why aren't you coming to church? Well, you know, i got to take care of this baby. God bless me with this baby. He never blessed you with something to take you away from him. I had a man once who uh, begged God to let him be a, a businessman and, and, and buy his own business. God allowed that to happen, and it wasn't very long before he stopped coming to church. Well, you know, i got to make this business work. You know, God gave it to me, so I've got to be diligent about working it, and I don't have time for church anymore. That's to miss the whole point. And um, we've always got to be sure that Jesus is first, and we never get something from him if those things are going to turn out to take us away from him in the end. That's when our heart gets wrong. So Dominic, I hope that answers your question. I think we got time for one more question. A little bit, two and a half minutes. Um, last, here's a question we can ask. This is very appropriate and newsworthy. Um, how do churches protect against sexual abusers in the children's ministry? Uh, sometimes less we do it well, sometimes we don't do it well. And I, I'm saying that um, not to be funny, but, but as sort of an encouragement to everybody in the ministry, we, we've got to be better at it. Uh, we do background checks uh, before anybody gets involved. We're, we're, we always need people to serve in children's ministry. But before they do, Um, We we do background checks, uh, and that helps us as much as it can um, uh, to protect against uh, serial abusers anyway. Um, But we also have rules, and and, uh, I can't speak for other churches, but uh, we never let our, our, our adult ministry leaders, children's ministry leaders, we never let any of the adults be alone with a child under any circumstances. There are always other people in the ministry. In, in, in addition to that, we have um, um, teenagers who are helpers in those children's ministries. So there's always people around uh, with eyes and ears. We're always protecting um, against the possibility of something like that happening. Uh, the sad truth, Les, is that in every church, um, there are people that sneak in unaware Uh, And if we have suspicions about people, we have eyes on them all the time. Um, But we just have to be more and more diligent in this because this is a problem. And, you know, child abusers who um, uh, they usually look like Christians, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And they they're the kind of people that that uh, you think, oh, they would never do such a thing. Well, that's what they want you to think. So we, we just, all of us, we have to do better at that. Hey, great week on the program. Thank you very much for your calls and your questions. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Remember, go to church. Ask God how you can be used. Not how somebody can serve you, but how you can be used for others. God bless you. See you Monday.